back in part two of tonight's Dan and Joe Sports Show. And as always, I'm Dan. Yeah, I'm Joe. Um, and we're talking about uh, game two of the World Series. And, I, and I'm with you, Joe. You can't drop two at home if you're the Astros and expect to come out on top in this series. I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest problems we saw with the Braves when they dropped the first two games against the Cardinals at home. Hard to come back and, and win the series when you're in that position. Um, you know, it seems like right now the Astros aren't doing as good on the pitching side. They're going to have to actually out-hit the Nationals to win, which is probably not the position you would have thought the Astros would have been in at the beginning of the series. Well, if the Nationals go on and win this championship, the narrative will be that they were finally able to get over the hump after all the seasons of playoff misery. If they did it the year after Bryce Harper leaves in free agency, and then finally they've been so reliant on their starting pitching with Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. I mean, for them to be able to make such a deep October run is just miraculous. I mean, virtually without a bullpen that they can trust. And then for the Astros, I think the narrative would be just a total missed opportunity. A team that won 107 games could have gone down, you know, as one of the best teams of all time, but instead they're just a footnote. So still, you know, a long way to go in this series, long way to go in game two tonight, but I kind of feel like this is a, a momentum-shifting game. If the Nationals win, they've got a stranglehold on the series. If the Astros win, I think we're looking at a long series that could go seven games. Which I agree, because, I mean, you think the longer the series goes on, the more you favor the Astros, because they've been here before. I mean, they won mm-hmm. one two years ago. Got a lot of guys that have uh, all kinds of experience in the postseason. I didn't know until this game that Verlander tonight, by starting, actually has played in more uh, pitched in more postseason games than any other pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball, as he tied John Smoltz in 199 games that he's pitched in the postseason. Which to me was really interesting because in my mind, I always associate Verlander with one or two really good Tigers teams, but mostly playing on a bad Tigers franchise for most of his career. And that's really interesting that he is now, at this point in his career, tied with Smoltz for most postseason starts. He's also got the record for most uh, postseason strikeouts. I mean, granted, there are more rounds in the modern era of baseball back in the day that teams just went straight to the World Series between the teams with the best records. But, you know, even though you have expanded playoffs with the format now, it's still impressive the longevity of Justin Verlander. He has the numbers. He's going to be a Hall of Fame pitcher. And he's 36 years old now, but there's been no signs of decline. He looks like the type of guy that could continue to be an ace in his early 40s. Well, Joe, uh, speaking of that, who do you think has a better starting rotation right now between the Nats and the Astros? I think that the Nationals' rotation is slightly deeper. I think that when you're comparing the ones and the twos with Verlander and Garrett Cole against Strasburg and Max Scherzer, it's a wash. I mean, that's basically they cancel each other out. That's a 1A and a 1B. But when you get past um, that to the threes and the fours, yes, the Astros have Zach Greinke, who's a former Cy Young Award winner, 
but he has not been as good in the playoffs. Whereas the Nationals have Patrick Corbin, who's been pretty effective, also good in relief. And then Anibal Sanchez, who's been a very consistent pitcher throughout his career, and he's been phenomenal in the postseason. So I think the Astros have the deeper bullpen, the Nationals have the deeper rotation. Well, Joe, with all the issues that the Nats had this year in their bullpen, and I believe until the playoffs, they may have had the worst bullpen in all of Major League Baseball. Do you think that that, that bad bullpen is finally going to come back and bite them in the series? If it goes six or seven games, yes, I do. I think it would be very tough with the questionable bullpen to hold a, a lead on the road in a game six or a game seven scenario. Because so far, in their first two rounds of the playoffs, they haven't had to go further than five games. So it's one thing in a four or five game series, a shorter series, to bring its starters into relief because there aren't as many games. But when you go six or seven games, it's more difficult to do that. They've logged more innings in their starts. And so, yeah, there might be all hands on deck, but even if you bring it into relief, the starters in relief, they're not going to be as effective, you know, the more they're used. The mileage is going to be accumulated on their arms. And so if it's a long series, I think that could definitely be an issue for Washington. Well, we'll see what happens. It's really been a tight one so far. And a very important game, too, right now to see whether the Nationals go up 2-0 going back to D.C., or if we have a split series heading back to the nation's capital. Now, speaking of heading back, Joe, I've heard a lot of rumors that maybe uh, for the Saints Nation, we're going to get Breeze back to play the Cardinals. What do you think is going to happen with that? I think he's going to play this weekend. Um, the medical team has apparently cleared him uh, to be 100%, um, but it's just whether or not he feels ready and Sean Payton feels comfortable starting him. But um, based on everything I've read, um, I see no indication that um, other than he's going to play. Um, Sean Payton talked about kind of how the fans look at this, you know, with uh, the bye week coming up. And, oh, it's the Cardinals this week. It's a very beatable team with a rookie quarterback. Um, you know, maybe the Saints should hold him out for one more week and let him rest and get ready. But Sean Payton said that the team, they really do not look at things that way. Uh, the way they evaluate it is that if he's good to go, he's good to go. And so uh, I think we expect him to see we expect to see him on Sunday against the Cardinals. That's interesting, Joe, because in my mind, I, I would save Breeze for a better team than the Cardinals. I mean, with the way Bridgewater is playing right now, I mean he lit up a very good Bears defense last week. I kind of think that I would give Bridgewater one more week and let Breeze rest for one more game against a Cardinals team that, frankly, the Saints should, should beat pretty badly. Well, no, that's a compelling point. And granted, uh, I do want to offer the caveat that my prediction that he's going to play is totally objective just based on what I've read um, with Sean Payton's decision-making. Um, I actually tend to agree with you. If I had uh, control of the situation, I think I would start Bridgewater this week and have Breeze as the backup, because that would give you the option to bring in Taysom Hill on some gadget plays and some trickery. 
And I think that if it would allow Breeze to kind of, you know, slowly transition back into the starting role, maybe get some reps late and mock-up duty if the Saints are winning the game, hopefully. The other issue that I'm worried about with starting Breeze so quick is that the team chemistry and team dynamic right now is so good with Bridgewater as the quarterback. Um, I'm kind of worried that if you rush Breeze back, suddenly the defense is like, oh, our Hall of Fame quarterback is back. We don't have to play quite with as much of an edge. You know, we had more margin for error. I feel like the risk is that the defense the last five weeks feels like they have to play otherworldly to win games, which they have. Will they take the foot off the gas pedal a little bit with, you know, the comfort zone of having Breeze back into the fold? There's a lot of things I'm weighing here, you know, about this decision. But at some point, we all knew Breeze was coming back. It does look like it'll be this weekend for better or for worse. Yeah, that, that's interesting, Joe, because, I mean, that, that will be interesting to see what the, the defense does with Breeze coming back because they've been playing just like madmen the last few weeks especially against the Cowboys and in that great game they played against the Jags, but we shall see. Uh, speaking of defenses that are playing like absolute lunatics, how about a defense that is so good right now that it borders on paranormal? And, of course, we're talking about the Patriots defense, which flustered Sam Darnold so bad he threw multiple interceptions couldn't even see where they were coming from, that he described the Patriots' defense as seeing ghosts. What do you think? Uh, a couple of reactions to that. You know, very fascinating. First, it kind of goes with the theme of the season with Halloween right around the corner. So I thought that was very ironic and slightly humorous. The other thing, there's been a lot of fallout and criticism and frustration from the New York Jets franchise um, voicing their disdain with um, NFL films and uh, the media um, releasing the footage of Sam Darnold's comments about seeing ghosts on the sideline. Because apparently what I was reading, um, they have the option to not show footage that um, you know characterizes a player in a negative light. Obviously, you, know, you see situations sometimes where a quarterback or a high-profile player walks on the sideline after a tough play or a turnover, you know, and maybe they, they say something that, you know, they shouldn't say on television. And, you know, something like that's edited out and never shown to anybody else. And so the Jets thought that these remarks should have been in the same category. However, um, they were not viewed that way and they were shared with uh, the general public. And it's become uh, a lot of discussion for water cooler talk um, around the world. Yeah, rough time for the Jets right now. They kind of thought they were having a comeback season uh, with a really good defense, and they get Quinton Williams. Uh, Darnold had a really good first season. And right now the Jets still look like uh, the dregs of the AFC East. Um, Sticking with some NFL topics, Joe, and we can transition into another game we want to talk about in college football with us. I've heard some rumors right now that Harbaugh is looking – to get out of the college ranks and get back into the pros when he's going to bail on Michigan. What have you heard about this? I think that um, based on the reports that are out there, it looks likely this will be his last season at Michigan, whether he leaves you know, willingly um, with another job on the horizon at the next level or whether he's just dismissed 
and you know, even switches places with Urban Meyer for a year. Uh, with Urban Meyer, you know, at Fox, um, there has been some rumors that Meyer might consider the Michigan job. I'm not really sold on that. I think that if Meyer returns to coaching, he'd look maybe to USC or somebody out there on the West Coast. But um, I definitely think that at the end of the day, this will be uh, Harbaugh's last season at Michigan. We'll just have to see, um, you know, where he would land next. There will be a lot of NFL teams that would be uh, very interested. Well, Joe, if if indeed this is Harbaugh's last season at Michigan, would you consider him possibly the most disappointing college football coach of all time? I mean, compared to the hype that he had coming in and all of the expectations. I don't know if I could go that far to say all time, but definitely off the top of my head within the last 10 or 15 years, I mean, for someone of this caliber to come into a situation where it looks like it was going to be an ideal fit, it only a matter of time before they can run to a national championship. And for them to go um, every season losing to Ohio State, especially when they've lost, I'm thoroughly disappointing. But the ironic thing, though, we talk about what we might do next year as far as uh, NFL teams. It's so weird that he is so, he appears to be so much uh, better suited to be an NFL coach. His track record with the 49ers for four years was very, very good. Going to a Super Bowl, winning the NFC West Championships three out of four years. So maybe he's just better suited for the pro game. Well, you know, Joe, that's an interesting point. But what I would ask is, was he also, he was the beneficiary of having Andrew Luck at Stanford. And he had a great run at Stanford the last couple years but it was with Andrew Luck that he made all of his bones. In the NFL with the 49ers, he inherited Patrick Willis and DeVaro Bowman and Carlos Rogers, just an absolutely terrifying defense. And yes, Colin Kaepernick looked pretty good under him, but was it maybe just that he was put in good situations that was kind of tailor-made for him to win? That could very well be the case. I've seen coaches like that where I would almost characterize them. You know, we talk about quarterbacks being a game manager. I would characterize that as a coach that's just, you know, a team manager. They can't necessarily be a part of building a team, but they're a good overseer of good talent. And they know how to win games with good talent. Because I think there is a difference that some guys can't do either. You know, they struggle to build teams and they struggle to win with what they have. So, you know, maybe if the right situation is there where Harbaugh can go to a place where they've just been struggling to make it to the playoffs but they have a good roster, you know, maybe he can make a difference. Yeah, I mean, I I think that could be it, Joe, because there's no doubt that Harbaugh is a great recruiter. I mean, he's done a good job at bringing next-level talent into Ann Arbor, but his ability as a quarterback whisperer and a quarterback developer – I don't believe in it anymore because he took Shea Patterson, who is a very good quarterback at Ole Miss, and has turned him into an average to possibly even below average college quarterback in two years at Michigan. And it seems like he's got all kinds of offensive talent from having Karan Higdon at running back 
to Donovan Peoples-Jones at, at receiver, but none of them do anything. His offenses are hard to watch, and it seems like he plays football in the 1950s right now. And I just I don't think that anybody wants that in a college coach anymore. And it's just hard for me to, to really believe in him as a good game day coach. Maybe he is a good program builder and recruiter, but that's about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, where he lands. I would definitely expect him to be somewhere coaching next year. And there will be a lot of enticing NFL jobs that are open, you know, whether it's a team that's rebuilding that decides to hire him, you know, that's drafting a rookie quarterback, or whether it's, you know, a more established team that's just trying to, to get over the hump. All right, well, let's say on him real quick. For Jim Harbaugh's future, I mean, it seems like every week we're saying this is the biggest week of his career, the biggest game of his career. Do you think that he has to win this game against Notre Dame to consider staying? Uh, yes, I think so, because uh, that would be their third loss if they lose the game, and they're going to lose to Ohio State. I mean, that's the elephant in the room for their fan base. And so if they lose to Notre Dame, they're looking at best-case scenario of an eight season, probably worse than that. It probably tells Spin out of control if they lose this team. It's already a lost season because they can't contend for the college football playoff. They're not going to win the Big Ten. But, um, you know, if they want to be able to hang their hat, I guess, on um, a decent season, if they want to try to win maybe nine games in the regular season, go nine and three, get that tenth win in the bowl game, yeah, man, I think this is this is vitally important to his wanting to stay at Michigan because I don't think that Harbaugh is someone that's very apparent from his media presence. He doesn't handle um, failures very well. He doesn't handle public criticism very well. So if he loses this game and has three losses on the board before he even plays Ohio State, and he's got to play Minnesota too, which suddenly doesn't look like a uh, – guaranteed win for Michigan, he's not going to want to stick around for a five-wall season and an off-season talking about a five-wall season. So this is a very important game. And, you know, I don't know if him winning this game means he'll stay, but I think you're right, Joe. I don't think if he doesn't win it, then there's no way he stays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to him to kind of, you know, for his psyche, for his um, reputation. You know, if they just have a disastrous season with – uh, a very talented team like they have, then I think that hurts his chances for uh, future uh, jobs. All right, Joe. Well, on that same topic, who do you like in Michigan Notre Dame this weekend? I think Notre Dame's going to win. Uh, I think Michigan, even though Harbaugh needs the team, I think that the team is going to kind of you know play with a lot of disappointment. They have their two losses. Uh, they're virtually eliminated from the college football playoff. They had those types of expectations coming into the season. And I'm afraid it's going to uh, snowball from here. And so I think that Notre Dame, uh, their only loss was to Georgia in a narrow defeat on the road. I think this is a good Notre Dame team, uh, not, not as good as last year. But I think they'll be able to beat uh, Michigan. Yeah, Joe, I like Notre Dame in this one as well. Uh, their defense has been very good so far. I think Ian Book is a good college quarterback. And it seems like they've got some pretty solid receivers, you know, as well right now. 
especially uh, their tight end, Claypool. That guy's a future NFL, uh, you know, I think that's a future NFL all-star right there. And so I think that Notre Dame right now, with the strength of their defense, and of course with, uh, with Claypool and Ian Book, I like Notre Dame to win this game against a seriously struggling Michigan team that their best win is against an Iowa team where they put up 10 points. They've got no offense. Their defense, I think, is starting to break a little bit because of the lack of support from their offense. And I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Notre Dame maybe even 14 to 17 points win this game. I can see it. Well, Joe, with that being said, uh, Bad things. Michigan losing this game would be bad, especially if they lost by 17. Uh, we saw one of the greatest mascot fails of all time this weekend. Uh, I can't even really describe it unless you saw it. And this is, of course, the Oklahoma Booner, Boomer Sooner Schooner. Uh, their wagon, covered wagon, just busted in their game that they had over the weekend. Halftime. It's a, it's a tradition in Oklahoma that they ride the schooner around, shooting off guns off of it, and they have live horses carrying this thing on a trailer. And I think they must have had a new guy doing it this week or someone that maybe he got a little too much into some of the, the boomer shooters and drank a little bit before he operated this because he took a turn really fast. The horses, uh, horses took it. And the Boomer Schooner, which is on wagon wheels, not made to take fast turns, completely busted it. Everyone on the wagon fell out. As far as I know, nobody got seriously injured. But it was hilarious, and you could really couldn't believe your odds. Yeah, I mean, uh, I remember looking at that um, headline on Saturday afternoon. You know, it's flat. You definitely feel like it's injured, but um, definitely uh, a tough blunder for a uh, mascot. So that gave me an idea that for this week's locker room talk, which of course is uh, brought to you by our fine sponsors that we'll get to, I wanted to talk about the best mascot fails of all time. We've got the Boomer Schooner. The Boomer Schooner bus has got to be up there. We're going to talk about some others. Our locker room talk is brought to you by our fine sponsors, Beach Ball Properties, our good friends uh, Hunter and Ginger Harrelson, uh, operate beach ball properties down in Orange Beach. And if you're looking for a vacation rental on the beach in Orange Beach or Gulf Shores, they've got over 60 properties now, a lot of good ones. Uh, the weather's perfect outside in the 60s or 70s. You can still get in the water. Really good weekend to head down to the Gulf and give Hunter and Ginger a call for your vacation getaway at the beach. And then also, uh, Jensen Computer Technologies, contact Ryan and Daryl Gale Jensen for all of your computer needs. Located uh, right outside of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Jensen Computer Technologies. Joe, before we move on to some of these other great mascot fails, I wanted to see, and I retweeted it on our Twitter page, have you seen the meme mashup that the guy did where he superimposed scenes from Gladiator into the, uh, the Boomer Sooner boss? I have not. Okay, it's great. uh, I have it on the Twitter. You'll have to check it out, but it's hilarious. Uh, There's basically, there's the scene in the movie, Joe, where uh, Russell Crowe is having to fight guys on chariots that they send in, basically making it unfair for him and all of his other gladiators to win. 
And of course, they ultimately take down the Chariots, and, and they superimpose that with the Oklahoma Sooner Schooner busting it, and the Chariots busting. It's really, it's pretty clever how they did it. So what? So what's the first one you have, Joe, in terms of mascot fails? Well, uh, I looked at a game in college football from 2010 between the Cincinnati Bearcats and the Pittsburgh uh, Panthers. This was a very important game for Cincinnati because with a win, they clinched the berth in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, this was Brian Kelly's last year at Cincinnati before he took a Notre Dame job, I believe. Um, and at the end of the game, the Bearcat for Cincinnati, he actually started a snowball fight with fans and started throwing snowballs at other people. Um, I believe the police stepped in and had to dissolve the situation, but it kind of got out of hand. Well, Joe, speaking of one that kind of gets out of hand, I chose one from one of my favorite all-time athletes and probably someone that would be a dream uh, a dream guest on our show for whatever links our show goes to, and that's Charles Barkley. Uh, there was a game where uh, I think this might have been after Charles Barkley was already retired that he went to a Denver Nuggets game, and apparently he and Rocky the mascot already had a Rocky history from back when Charles Barkley was the player, and uh, Rocky the mascot started dancing around Charles Barkley like he was going to punch him, and Charles Barkley hit him with one left hook and knocked him out cold. It's an amazing video if you haven't seen it before. <laughs> and I don't and I don't know that Rocky was pretending that much either. <laughs> yeah, anytime, anytime you have Charles Barkley involved, you know, it always makes it so much uh, so much better. Um, let's see. The last one I had for you, Dan, uh, this actually involves the Toronto Raptors. You know, they just got their NBA championship rings last night. But um, the, the Raptors mascot was attempting to go down the stairs um, on roller skates at their arena. And uh, things spiraled uh, completely downward from there and out of control with pain and humiliation as the mascot just fell and tumbled down the stairs. And uh, it looks like, you know, there could have been some injuries involved. Yeah, so I saw that one earlier. Uh and maybe I've got a little theme of fights going on. But, of course, one of the most celebrated mascots in all of college sports, and I've actually met him now in person, or at least one of the iterations of him, is the Oregon Dock. Uh, last year for the Senior Bowl, one of the cool things I got to do was I got to transport mascots from the Mobile Airport uh, back to their hotel for the Senior Bowl. And one of mine was the Arizona State Sun Devil, and we did this really cool thing where we went to USA Women's and Children's Hospital with the mascots and some of the, the children that had cancer and some, some really rough diseases got to have a little bit of a happy day when the mascots came and visited them. And Joe, in person, the Oregon mascot is hilarious. I mean, he's going just constant all the time. He never breaks character, and he really is incredible. Um but this is probably not one of his better moments. Of course, one of the things that everybody knows about the Oregon Doug mascot is during football games, when Oregon scores a touchdown or kicks a field goal, he does his push-ups to signify the points. Well, apparently they played or they played Houston one time in a football game, and the Houston Cougar thought it'd be a great idea that when Houston scores some points, he would mock the Oregon Doug and went over to him and started doing push-ups in front of him. 
Apparently, the Oregon Duck did not think it was funny for him to be mocking his signature move and actually pushed the Houston Cougar down, and this led to an actual mascot brawl where both of them were suspended for a game. Yeah, those mascot brawls are always something. I've seen that before on the local level, um, and it's always it's always crazy. Yep. And uh, let's see if I got any other ones. Some of these we have are actually from not majors, but like AAA. I've got a really good one where uh, it's in a AAA Arizona Diamondbacks affiliate, the Reno Aces. Pretty solid name right there. Um, And the Reno Ace was attempting to do the Michael Jackson moonwalk on top of the dugout. And I think you can figure out where this one's going. Uh, with the moonwalk, of course, you're walking backwards, and you have your foot glide as you, as you go back. Of course, he started going backwards on the dugout, and unfortunately, he moonwalked a little too good. And instead of going up to the moon, he fell to the ground as he fell into the dugout by sliding backwards. And that's an, also a great video. Yeah, you know, a lot of um, scenes like that are great on the minor league level or semi-professional level. You know, you sometimes see people show out, show up. Um, a lot of managers in minor league baseball, you know, when they get ejected, um, they always show out with their uh, theatrics. Well, speaking of which, Joe, uh, this show's about to be out. We're going we're gonna to call it a night on the Dan and Joe Sports Show. But what I'm going to do for everybody is I've got a great video for the 10 most hilarious mascot fails, and I'm going to put it on our Twitter and on our Facebook and fan page so that you can watch it because it's got the videos of the ones we've been describing. And uh, thank you for all of our listeners and for our earlier show for Corn Dog Henry and hope it's the LC Tigers burning flames this weekend. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.